All right, we come to Exodus chapter 10. And uh, before we pray, it was a couple weeks ago that we looked at the first plague. Do you remember that conversation? You know, about the water being turned to blood and that in our culture, <laughs> we worship water. We think, you silly Egyptians, you worship water. And we talked all about that. And I just thought, wow, it's pretty interesting uh, what's happened in our community in the last couple of days regarding uh, our water. And so I think we just need to pray for that this morning as, as we come to God's word that the Lord would, would, would touch the water. And I actually want to uh, repent on behalf of our community where there are those who worship the water. We worship the living creator who sends the water to the earth. And so we'll thank God for his provision. We'll ask him to touch it, all right? And we'll, we'll come to God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, just acknowledge uh, your lordship. We acknowledge your rule this morning. We acknowledge that you are the king of kings and the lord of lords, that you are the Son of God who was incarnate and crucified and buried and risen from the dead and who has ascended into heaven and who, who is there at, at the Father's side. And Jesus, this morning, we, we've gathered to worship you, to exalt your, your name. And Lord, we pray for our community this morning. Uh, Lord, I imagine that there's lots of people that fear. They're, they're gripped with fear because they wonder about the water. And Lord, we saw just a couple weeks ago that it's you who sends the rain from heaven. You water the earth. And Lord, you've given water as a gift to men. In fact, you promised that if we come to you, out of us would flow streams of living water. And so Jesus, we thank you that um, you have all these things under your control and in your hand. And Lord, we ask that you'd forgive us this morning on, on behalf of our community. We repent before you, Lord. If our community is bowed down and like the Egyptians, served the gods of water, looked at created things and exalted them as God, then Lord, for that, we repent. And we ask that you'd forgive us, Lord. And we ask that you'd heal our water. And so God, we, we ask that for your name and for your glory that you'd touch uh, the town of Gibson's water and that you'd make it clean and pure again and that you would be glorified. I thank you, Lord, that, that you hear us. I thank you, Lord, that, that you'll answer. God, I pray this morning that as we come to your word that we would be reminded, as it says in Psalm 138, that you have exalted your word above your name. And so, God, we give your word a a great place within your church. The, the, the psalmist said, you, I tasted your word and it was like honey on my lips. And Lord, we pray for the sweet taste of the word of God in our mouth this morning. We pray, God, that as, as we uh, come to the written word, that the living word, Jesus Christ, would be glorified, that we would find life in you, Jesus, as we hold to the promises of your word this morning. And so, God, we, we ask that uh, you would bless the teaching of your word, Lord, for it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so, Lord, would you anoint the word with, your, with the anointing of your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're in Exodus chapter 10. Turn there with me in your Bibles. Great, we come to Exodus 10. We're diving back into this story of these first nine plagues. 
that came upon the Egyptians before the final last uh, plague came. Number 10. Number 10 in the scripture is always a, it, it's always the completion, the finale. And so number 10 was that we're going to see in the next uh, few weeks the death of the most devastating plague, the death of the firstborn. But here we're still going through the first nine plagues. We've seen uh, water turn to blood. We've seen the frogs invade the, the land of Egypt, the, the lice, the gnats, the flies. We saw the death of the Egyptian livestock, uh, the boils that came on man and beast, the hail that fell from heaven and destroyed the plants of the field and anyone who was outside and the livestock. And it's estimated that probably about where we are in this whole story is nine or ten months in of these plagues falling upon the land of Egypt. Now, the purposes of God were many in, in, in these plagues and what the Lord was seeking to do and accomplish in the land of Egypt and amongst his people, it's layered as you look into it. Of course, the Bible tells us that one of the things God was doing was bringing judgment against the gods of Egypt because they were a polytheistic culture. They, they worshiped, they looked at creation and they formed their gods in the image after creation and they bowed down and they worshiped those things rather than the creator. And so the Lord was executing judgment on the gods of Egypt, showing that there are actually no gods at all. The Lord was also judging the house of Pharaoh for enslaving the Israelites for this period of now 400 years of being enslaved in the land of Egypt. The Lord was also, as we read here in Exodus, making a distinction between those who belonged to him, the children of Israel, and those who did not belong to him, the people of Egypt. Not only that, God was making known this fact. Time and time again through these plagues, we read the Lord saying, I'm doing these things so that they will know that I am the Lord. So God is revealing his nature and his character in the midst of these things. He's working in on behalf of his people so that uh, there will be a severing in their life from a severing from the life of slavery uh, to the life of promise so that they can enter into that uh, promised land, the land of, that was promised to Abraham. Now the last plague that we looked at was the, the seventh plague. It was the plague of hail and uh, a thunder that not only killed men and beasts who were left outside and were not in, in, under, in a safe place, but it also struck down every plant of the field, struck every tree of the field and broke them and smashed them. Uh, but not only that, the Bible actually tells us that that plague itself terrorized the heart of Pharaoh. That it wasn't just a, a plague that fell on the land and on the livestock and on people, but it was a plague that fell upon the hearts of men. And Yahweh made noises from heaven. He thundered. And fear gripped the hearts of men. And in that place of fear and being terrorized in his heart, we saw last week that, that Pharaoh finally conceded. He made an admission of sin before Moses. But he did not repent of that sin. He, he might have admitted it, but he didn't turn from it. And so now we come to the eighth, the eighth plague. We're in... Exodus chapter 10, it's the plague of locusts, an interesting one. And it says this in verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, go in to Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son 
and of your grandson, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know I am the Lord. So throughout this conflict, it's been between Moses and Pharaoh. Ultimately, it's been between the Lord and Pharaoh. Um, We've seen it going back and forth throughout this story where sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his heart before God. That means that he did this. He, he, he made his heart dull to the word of God. He just dug his heels into the ground. The, in that, that sense, his heart, he dug his heart into the ground to stop and ignore the word of God, resisting the Lord. At other times, we read like in this one right here, that the Lord turned and hardened his heart. It's that word that was used to describe what would happen when Moses put his hand on the rod and it was stiffened. Remember, he threw it down and it became a snake. And when he'd take hold of it by the tail, it was stiffened and it would become hardened in his hand. And it's that same word is used to describe what was happening in the heart of Pharaoh, that when the Lord put his hand on him, he he was just stiffened so that God would continue to be able to work out uh, his purposes. Now, The Lord actually said this in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, that for this purpose, speaking of Pharaoh, for this purpose, I raised you up to show my power that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, I would say, I guess, whether Pharaoh wanted to willingly or unwilling participate in the fulfillment of that promise, whether he wanted to dull his heart to the word of God or participate in what God was doing, God was going to fulfill his word. God was going to see that Pharaoh would be used as an instrument, uh, that the name of the Lord would be proclaimed in all the earth. Actually, in these first few verses, these first front end of this passage here, we get another reason. We're given another insight into why God is doing this work, why he is bringing these judgments upon uh, the land of Egypt. His intent is is not only that the people of Egypt would see the power of the Lord, but also that his own people, the children of Israel, would see his power, that they would see uh, his superiority, and that they would know that he was who he claimed to be. And with great clarity, they would pass that truth onto their children and onto their grandchildren, onto the next generation. The Lord wanted his people to know, look, This is not a fairy tale. This is not coincidence. This is not an accident. The Lord is God and the Lord is acting in the midst of this. See, the Israelites had seen some of these plagues firsthand and experienced some of them. And then they watched in awe as God began to make a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Between the children of Egypt and the offspring of Abraham. You know, it's been said this, that there's no testimony without a test. 400 years of slavery, concluding with these 10 plagues, culminating in the hand of Pharaoh, driving them out of the land of Egypt, the even stronger hand of the Lord leading them out of Egypt. See, that's a test that turned into a testimony. And the Lord said, you're going to pass this, I'm going to make this so clear So that when you speak to your children and your grandchildren, you're going to tell them of the works of the Lord and it's going to affect the generations forever. Now we read in verse three. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, 
How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? There's the real problem. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from this day, from this day. They came on the earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. The Egyptians, as we've been seeing, they served many gods. One of the gods that they bowed down and worshipped was a god by the name of Seth. He was the god of the crops. They also worshipped Osiris. Osiris was considered the god of vegetation. And so the threat of judgment from the Lord that he would send this locust onto the land would be that of judging these gods and revealing that, that the Lord oversees these things. And these locusts are going to come. They're going to destroy everything that's not already left destroyed. And look at what it says, it says in verse 7. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve their God. Do you not yet understand Egypt is ruined? I mean, we just get a sense here of what's going on in this country. Do you not understand, Pharaoh? Egypt is ruined. I think of uh, their aquaculture, the, the fishing industry. It's collapsed. All the fish in the Nile River are dead. They've essentially had a total economic collapse in the fact that, that the Lord specifically went after their livestock. That was how a man measured his wealth. And God put his hand on that in the fifth, sixth, and the seventh plague. Three plagues in which God affected the livestock. Their healthcare system was essentially totally useless. Boils broke out on, on man and beast. And Egypt was the most, you know, medically advanced nation in the world. And there was nothing they could do in Egyptian medicine to deal with that. Agriculturally, the trees are destroyed. Orchards, fruit, nuts, the whole shebang. The first two early crops of the year were destroyed in the eighth plague, the hail. I mean, this country is in total ruin. And there is nothing exaggerated about the words of the servants who said, don't you know that the land of Egypt is ruined? Just get them out of here. Let them go. The country is ruined. So in verse 8, it says this. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go serve the Lord. But which ones are to go? So you see here, in other words, you know, Pharaoh's saying this. Who's going? I, the Lord may have said something, but I'm going to be the one who decides who goes. Verse 9. Moses said, we'll go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Verse 10. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if I ever let your little ones go. Look, you have, he actually used the Lord's name in vain there. He's swearing. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. Verse 11, no. Go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you were asking. And they were driven from Pharaoh's presence. This is a third offer of compromise that Pharaoh 
gives uh, to Moses. And it's a compromise that affects the children. Uh, last week, we saw two compromises that, that he gave. The first one was this. He said, um, you can worship God. Just do it here. Don't, don't leave the land of Egypt. You know, stay here. And Satan would suggest the same thing to you and I. You, you can serve God. <laughs> but you, you don't need to leave your old life behind. You don't have to come out of the world. That was the first compromise. The second one was this. You can, you can worship God, but just don't go far. Okay, you can go. Just don't go too far. You could serve Jesus, but don't get too radical. Don't go too crazy with this whole Jesus thing. Just, you know, walk the line. Stay close to Egypt and don't go too far in serving the Lord. That was the, the second compromise that he made. Now, interesting, we read here in the start of this chapter that the Lord is concerned. He just told Moses part of the reason why he was doing what he was doing was so that he could ensure the handoff to the next generation. That, that one generation would, would learn to hand the baton of faith off to the next generation and then to the next generation and to the next generation. And so Satan goes there. And he says, well, not the kids. Not the kids. But you can have your faith, but don't push it on the kids. You leave the kids behind here. You leave them here. See, you know, I, I think sometimes we wrestle this. We think, well, I, I don't want to push my faith I don't want to push Jesus Christ on my kids. That's theirs to figure out. It's not my place to speak. And I would say, really? You know, who told you that? Because the word of God actually says the exact opposite. Deuteronomy chapter 11 says this. You shall teach these things to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting in your house. And when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and I would ask us this morning, what are you doing to make your children aware of the greatness of God and, and aware of his wonderful works of love towards us? What are you doing to make known to your children the cross of Christ? See, in, in our culture, you know, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll sacrifice our kids to the God of sport. We'll, we'll, we'll sacrifice our, our kids to the God of entertainment, to the TV and the video games. We'll, we'll sacrifice our kids to the God of possession and the God of mammon and the God of money. And we teach them to serve all sorts of other things. If there's one thing that we should pass on to our kids, it's faith in Jesus Christ. It's knowledge of the one true living God. Lead them to Christ. Don't apologize. Don't soft sell. Tell them about Jesus. Young or old. You know, some, there's, there's young kids represented in our church. Some of you have older kids that are adults. Look, don't take your foot off the gas just because your kids are growing up and out of the home. If they're not serving the Lord, point them to Jesus and don't apologize for it. Verse 12, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts so that they come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left, locusts. Locusts are an interesting picture in scripture because they're always a tool of God's judgment. You know, um, the next time you see locusts with real significance after this passage here is actually 
when the prophet Joel speaks, he says, he, he speaks of God using locusts to bring judgment against his own people, the, the nation of Israel. You also see locusts in Revelation chapter 9. They come, the Bible says they come from the shaft of the earth, that it's some point in future history when God is raining down a second phase of these same judgments that we see upon the earth during the great tribulation, that the shaft of the of the deep will be opened, the Bible says, and locusts will come out and they'll sting the inhabitants of the earth. They're a tool of judgment. But you know, also in the New Testament, there's another picture of locusts, which is even better. It's a better picture. And it's this of a man by the name of John. See, the Bible says John came to come and announce a kingdom, to tell of the coming of the great king. And he lived in the desert. And he wore camel's clothes. And you know what he ate? He ate locust. Because John brought a message, not of judgment, but one proclaiming the coming of a kingdom and a king. A message of joy. John, the forerunner of Jesus, came and he announced, the king is here. And he ate the judgment. That's the picture. It's beautiful. Verse 13 says, So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, And the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. Egyptians serve another God. I mentioned him last week. There was two forms of this God. His name was Amon. They they formed him in um, a human ram, but they also formed him in a a human goose. Kind of a weird picture. Um, He was considered the God of the wind. Now, here in this passage, we're going to see God's going to touch the east wind. He's going to cause the locust to come in. Then he's going to touch the west wind. I guess I should be pointing that way. West wind. And he's going to blow the locust out of the land. See, the Lord uses the wind to be a carrier of his judgment because the wind does the bidding of the Lord. He is the Lord who sits in... Uh, enthroned above the earth. He's in heaven. And when the Lord, you know, wants to use the wind for his glory, he uses it. He blows judgment on the land and he brings relief on the land. He works miracles. And of course, we know that the New Testament tells us the story of Jesus sleeping in the stern of the boat. His disciples were there fearing for their life. Terror had gripped their hearts. They were in the midst of the storm and the wind and the waves were coming against them on the Sea of Galilee. And when they woke Jesus, he stood up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And he said, peace be still. And it was still. And when the Lord desires to send judgment on the wings of the wind, he does so because he is the Lord. And when the Lord wants to say, peace be still, the wind and the waves listen to Jesus. Now it says in verse 14, the locusts came over all the land of Egypt and they settled on the whole country of Egypt such a dense swarm of locusts as had ever been before, nor will ever be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. And so the swarm of locusts, is so significant, it actually filters out the light of the sun. The land becomes darkened. You can just imagine in your eye this, this swarm of these, these things. And they left nothing behind. Not a green thing. They, they 
they swept up and finished off all the crumbs that were left behind by the hail. Verse 16. Then the Lord hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God, only remove, only to remove this death from me. So again, here's Pharaoh. He makes an admission of sin. But again, it's not repentance. Don't confuse admission of guilt with true repentance. That's the picture here for us. Because between an admission of sin and repentance is this act of turning away. Admission and turning away from your sin. See, Pharaoh's not a changed man. He's just a man looking for relief. He, he, he just wants to catch his breath. And I would say to you if, you, if you came to Jesus looking for relief, you need to know that Jesus has much more in store for you than just relief. He holds out his nail-scarred hands to you and I. The, the hands with which, the blood with which he purchased our salvation and Jesus can save you. You, you want relief and you need to know that Jesus, that's not his plan. His plan is redemption. You want relief? You need to know Jesus' plan is rescue. And Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing poor in spirit about Pharaoh. Just admission of guilt. See, blessed are the poor in spirit speaks not of a man who makes an admission of his wrong, but rather it speaks of a man who recognizes that in him dwells no good thing, that he has no ability to save himself. Poor in spirit is a man who has come to the end of himself and he turns from sin and he turns in faith to Jesus Christ. See, Jesus didn't shed, your, shed his blood for your admission, for an admission of sin. Jesus shed his blood for your transformation. And the Bible says you have to be born again. That, that flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but that you must be born of the spirit. And, and Jesus, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And he wants to bring life where you're experiencing death. And it starts with an act of repentance. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Now, verse 18, it says this. So he went out from Pharaoh and he pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind, an east wind, into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locust and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. So the, the east wind that brought the locust was transformed by the Lord into a west wind, and it drove the locust into the Red Sea. Until the Bible says, not a single locust was left in all the land of Egypt. That's a miracle. When there's such a swarm that the sky is darkened, and then they're all gone, that's a miracle. Now let me tell you about another miracle. Because the Bible tells us something else about the east and the west. It says this, so far has God removed your transgressions as far as the east is from the west. He, he, he turned the tide against you. He, judgment, locust was on your life. You were living in sin and pursuing sin. 
And you cried out to the Lord and the Lord turned the wind around and he blew judgment away and he brought you peace. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from you. You know, if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, you you can step out of this place this morning and feel the breeze that the Lord has sent over the waters on the Sunshine Coast and over the waters that he formed. You can feel the breeze and know the Lord is God. The Lord is God. So far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed my sin. But not only that, he, he took the judgment, the work of the locust. His wind drew that judgment into the sea. And the destruction of the locust is a foretaste of what's going to happen to Pharaoh and his armies. They're going to be driven into the sea. In fact, the same thing, that same judgment is going to happen to Satan and his minions the Lord is going to drive them into the sea. The Bible talks about his sea being a sea of forgetfulness. See, it's a wonderful thing to know that you belong to the Lord, isn't it? To say, oh God, I'm yours. I, I'm your son. You bought me with your blood. What can separate me from your love? Verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go. And just at this point, the Lord is assuring that his purposes are going to be accomplished. Now we come to the ninth, ninth plague. It's the plague of darkness. We've been seeing this, that every third plague, there's no warning. There's no warning to this plague. Verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was a pitch darkness in the land of Egypt three days. Probably the preeminent God of the Egyptians was the God Ra, he, the sun God. They bowed down, they, they served him, and it's interesting, the Lord just brings this judgment against their sun God. He stretched out his hand, Moses stretches out his hand, and pitch darkness comes over the land for three days. The Bible says when Jesus was crucified, pitch darkness came over the land for three hours. As he lay in the tomb for those three days, darkness came over the hearts of his disciples for three days. A spiritual darkness until resurrection Sunday. And and they saw that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now verse 21 says, this was a darkness that was to be felt. Imagine that. I don't know if you've ever been in the pitch of black darkness where you put your hand in front of your face like this and you can't see it. It's a foretaste of outer darkness. See, the Bible describes hell as a place where there's unquenchable fire, but it also describes it as a place where there is outer darkness. We sometimes mistakenly think that, you know, Satan rules from hell, that he has a throne in hell, and that's where he does his bidding from. That's a mistaken concept. Hell is not the headquarters for Satan's plans and his, his ministry. He certainly does not have a throne there. The Bible doesn't teach that. Hell is the place where Satan will be judged and where he will receive punishment. And, and he's not there yet. And when he gets there, he won't rule. He'll just be in darkness, outer darkness, like these children of 
Egypt were away from the light of the presence of God for all eternity. See, the world has this opinion that, that hell, that outer darkness is this place where, you know, you're going you're gonna to hang with your friends and you're going to party for eternity or something. But check out the first thing that we read about this darkness in verse 23. Look at verse 23. It says this. They did not see one another. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. They did not see one another. That's freaky, man. That is darkness that can be felt. And there was no artificial light source that worked. It didn't matter if you lit a fire or lit a candle. It was darkness. Absolute darkness. Incredibly, though, in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived in that section of Egypt, there was light. One people living in darkness and a, a darkness that could be felt where there was no artificial light source that would even work, but amongst God's people, they were dwelling in the light. The apostle John said this, he said, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have a light of life. Then we read in verse 24, then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. So here's compromise number four. Here we go again with Pharaoh and his tricks and his scheming. Compromise number four is this, possessions. So leave your stuff behind. Go follow Jesus. Okay, you can go far. You can even take your kids. But leave your possessions and your things and your money here. Jesus said this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if Satan can have us in this place where we're unwilling to give our possessions to the Lord, we're unwilling to surrender our possessions to Christ, then he knows this. He can get our hearts as well. Go ahead, worship Jesus. Worship. Worship with your family. But don't spend your money on the kingdom. You know, don't tithe. Don't give God his due. Don't, don't lay up treasure in heaven. You know, we sometimes think, I can't give God my 10%. I, I, I can't afford that. And, and I have to tell you, if, if that sort of thinking is in... In your mind, you, you've missed something very crucial in regards to the kingdom of God. You see, it's not 10% is God's and 90% is mine. And you know, 10% is his and 90% I can do whatever I want with. No, 100% belongs to Jesus. 100% belongs to Jesus. And when when, when Jesus has your heart, nobody has to pass the plate, you know? Nobody's got to twist, twist your arm. When Jesus has 100%, you will give out of the overflow of a heart that loves him and longs to worship him and wants to be obedient to him. It, it, it won't be begrudging. It will be joy. The joy of a heart that is overflowing with thankfulness to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, worshiping him. There was a king in 
Second Chronicles, the story is told. His name is Amaziah. His story is told in Second Chronicles chapter 25. Um, and let me lay out a little bit of background for you, the story. The story is this. Israel had a church split. <laughs> That's what I always think of. They were split into the north and the south. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern king was called, kingdom was called Judah. Ten tribes in the northern kingdom, two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, in the tribe of Judah, in the kingdom of Judah. Typically, the kingdom of Israel had ungodly kings. And on the other hand, the kingdom of Judah typically had godly kings. Amaziah was a godly king. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 25 that he was going to have a battle with Syria. And he had an army of 300,000 men of valor, valor, soldiers. But prepping for this army, he made a decision. He did this. He didn't feel that his army was big enough. And so he went to the kingdom of Israel and he said this. Look at, could I rent some soldiers? <laughs> and so he rented... 100,000 soldiers. So his army goes from 300,000 to 400,000. And the cost was this. The Bible says that he gave uh, 100 talents of silver to purchase the army. Now, the math is important here because it's significant. 100 talents. There's 75 pounds in a talent. Okay, this is a significant amount of silver. At 22 bucks an ounce, let's be, you know, today... That's over $2.6 million, okay? That he goes and he spends to hire this army. And so he gets his troops together and he gets things organized and a man of God appears on the scene and the man of God says this to him. Let not the army of Israel go with you for the Lord is not with Israel. But go, act, be strong for the battle. Why should you suppose that, the God, that God would cast you down before the enemy? Listen to that question. Why should you suppose that God would cast you down before the enemy? That's a good question for you and me. Why should you suppose that God would cast you down before the enemy? Look, the Bible says God is for you. Who can be against you? And Amaziah said to the man of God, well, what about the hundred talents of silver, man? I just spent over two and a half million dollars to rent this army. And the man of God said to him this, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah did this. He's a man of God. He discharged the army. He said, God told me, get out of here. Off you go. And they were ticked. They, they even went and they, 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 they struck some of his his cities and things, and they raided him. But you know what? God gave him an incredible victory over Syria. And the question is, why, why should you suppose that God would cast you down before the enemy? The Lord is able to give you much more. Now in verse 25, it says this. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock, our possessions, must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. It's a, this is an interesting picture here. Because Moses says, 
I actually don't know what this is going to look like. Serving God, I don't know what it's going to look like. But God said this, we're to go. We're to go far, all the way, three days journey. We're to take our children. We're to take our possessions and our money and everything. We don't leave anything behind in following Jesus. When, when, when I follow Jesus, the old life, that life of slavery to sin is totally left behind. I turn from it and I follow Jesus and I bring everything I have with me to follow Jesus. Now there's a very important principle here regarding the kingdom of God because this is Moses did not know what God required of him. He didn't know what God was going to do. He didn't know what was going to happen with the people and how God would provide and all these things. God just said, go. And he took everything and he went. See, Moses was walking by faith. And when you walk by faith, you have to obediently put one foot in front of the other. See, because sometimes, you know, most of the time the Lord works this way, right? He says, you take step A and then I'll tell you what step B is. Be obedient to me. And Pharaoh kept offering all of these compromises. They're, they're designed to rob Moses of experiencing the life of faith. I take step A and God begins to reveal what step B is. You say, oh God, no, no, no. God, I want the five-year plan. <laughs> Lay out for me, God, your 10-year vision. And then I'll decide if I'm going to cooperate with you or not. <laughs> that's what we do, right? Because that's really the thing. You tell me what you're going to do, and then I'll decide whether I'm going to cooperate with you. God says, no, 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 no. That's not faith. Faith is, be obedient to me. Take step A, and I will reveal to you step B. See, as we've been seeing through this discussion on Moses over these weeks, when you follow Jesus, there's no negotiations. It's a life of faith following Jesus. You know, I think of the Israelites and the bondage of slavery and I think about my own life and I think about your life and I'll tell you, my experience with slavery to sin has been harsh. Slavery to sin is harsh. It, it breaks the human spirit. You, you know, the... The Israelites were unable with their ears to hear what Moses was sometimes preaching to them because their spirits were broken under the bondage of slavery. Sin breaks the human spirit. And the Bible says in the, the wages of sin is death. But it's Jesus' desire to lead us out of the bondage of slavery to sin, to take that wage and to give us the gift of eternal life. And we say, well, well hold on, Jesus. What's the five-year plan? I got to decide if I'm going to cooperate with you. What's your 10-year vision for my life? And Jesus is gently saying to you this, take step A. Take step A. Be obedient to me and take the step. And I'll reveal to you my, my plan and my will in step B. Jesus is saying this. Uh, come out of Egypt. Uh, come out of the world. Uh, be radical for me. 
Go the whole way with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Bring your family. Bring your possessions and serve me. Why would you, why would you suppose that I would cast you down before the enemy? See, the Lord said to Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a, a hope and a future. Plans for wholeness and not for evil. Uh, plans to bless you for your good. See, the Lord has good plans in store for you. But it's by faith. But it's by faith. And we must obediently place one foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the next. Now verse 27 of chapter 10 says this. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said, get them away from me. Take care never to see my face again for the day that you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. It's interesting here that these sections just keep getting sandwiched. We're going to see them. Chapter 10 is sandwiched with this thought, God hardened Pharaoh's thought, uh, heart. And we come to chapter 11. We're going to just take a quick peek at chapter 11 this morning. It says this in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh in Egypt. Afterwards, afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man of Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. That's the people of Israel. Um, Wages are owed, man. Wages are owed. These people have lived in slavery for 400 years. They have not been paid. And I just love that God is going to see that they're repaid. God is going to see that they're repaid. He's going to bring the gold and the silver. And besides that, they're going to need it to build a tabernacle to worship the Lord. Now, some say, and I think this is true here in this passage, that between Verses 1 and 3, this is just a little bit of an interlude where you get a bit of background. This is what God has previously said. Uh, Moses has not left the presence of Pharaoh from the end of chapter 10 till verse 4. He has not left. Verse 1 to 3, just retell us what the Lord has already spoken to Moses. This is still the same conversation. You're not going to see my face again, Pharaoh says. Moses says, okay. Verse 4. So Moses said, thus says the Lord... About midnight, I will go into the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor will ever be again. Uh, so read that. I, I cannot help but remember Pharaoh's instruction to the Hebrews to throw their baby boys into the river where they would die and where they would drown. God told Pharaoh uh, through Moses, tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn. In other words, you put your hands on my firstborn, I'll put my hands on your firstborn. 
It, it's, a, it's as simple as that in this story. Mess with my kid? Mess with my kids? I mess with your kids. <laughs> I think he said it in an Italian accent. <laughs> but even in, in, in this instruction, there's grace. There's grace here, people. You have to see it. There's a warning. Darkness, outer darkness, these different plagues with no warning. There's a warning here from the Lord. And we're going to see it in, in much uh, clearer terms uh, next Sunday as we, we dive into this. There's a warning. There is grace in the midst of this warning of judgment. And it's by this, the blood of the lamb. You see, that's the way God draws a difference between those who belong to him and those who do not belong to him by the blood of the lamb. By those who apply the blood of the lamb. Now verse seven says, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel. That's, that's incredible. Angel of death is moving through the land. People are dying, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. The distinction, as we're going to see, is made by blood. And it's a faith thing. It was a faith thing for Moses and it's a faith thing for Israel. They didn't understand. They didn't understand all that God was going to do. They didn't understand how God was going to save them. It was just do what God tells you to do. Do it. And simple obedience, apply the blood to your life and to your family. In simple obedience, slaughter that lamb, take the blood and brush it on the doorposts and the lintel of your home. And when the angel of death comes, you'll be spared. He'll pass over your home. This is the only plague that the children of Israel are invited to participate in. By this simple act of obedience, apply the blood to the doorposts and the lintel of your home. And death will pass over. Simple act of obedience. It's a simple act of obedience for you and I too. The scripture says, Apply the blood of the Lamb, the great I am, Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, if you've applied the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross, it's been applied to your life. You said, Jesus, wash me in your blood. Cleanse me. You redeem me with your blood. I turn from my sin and I turn in faith to you. You gave your life on my behalf. You shed your blood for me. Apply the blood to my life. The Bible says if you've done that, you're saved done deal. If you've not, the Bible says this, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. You have to be born of the spirit. You, you must be born again. You must be born of the spirit. And, it's, and that, that decision is an individual decision that each one of us come to. We hear the story of the cross. We know the realities of slavery to sin. It's harsh. It's brutal. Life beats you up. Deliverance comes by the blood of the lamb. It's all looking forward to Jesus. And we read here, it says in verse eight, all these your servant and the, and all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. 
And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be, may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Verse 10. Moses and Aaron did all these, thing, all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of the land. Look, the Lord, again, we see, start of chapter 10, end of chapter 11, it's sandwiched by this statement, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know, I would say to you, if you're here this morning, which you are, it's because God led you here so that he might speak to you and warn you and say, do not harden your heart against me. Do not, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Admission of sin isn't enough. There must be a repentance from sin. There must be an application of the blood of Jesus Christ to that sin. And then he'll forgive you. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we wrestle constantly living in this world with areas of compromise. We don't want to come out of Egypt sometimes. Sometimes we live a life that tries to walk the line between Egypt and the world and pr living the life of promise. We, we get deceived by the thought that we don't have the right to speak into our children's lives and to, to pass the baton. We, we, we get deceived by the trick of compromise that says you can serve Jesus and you don't need to with your possessions. Look, when we leave the life of slavery... We, we leave slavery and we follow Jesus Christ and the promise. Bring everything with you. Everything comes when you follow Jesus. Let's pray this morning. I can invite the worship team to come join us. Why don't you guys stand with me as they're coming into place. This morning we're going to sing a couple songs and... Uh, just want to respond to the Lord. Our service isn't over. We want to take about 10 minutes and just worship the Lord. And you know, I, I would just invite you, as you worship, to do this in your heart. Say, God, I don't know what it all looks like. I don't know what it all looks like. But I'm bringing everything to follow Jesus. I'm bringing it all. Come on up here. So why don't we uh, bow our heads this morning as these guys get ready. And let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, my life was enslaved by sin. And you made known to me and to these people yourself. And in faith, in, in repentance of sin and in faith, we turn to Jesus Christ. And Jesus, you are leading us in the life of promise. And in Jesus we want to bring it all and follow you. We want to leave sin and bring everything else that it would become a part of the life of following you. And so Jesus, in a fresh way, we leave this world behind this morning. In a fresh way, God, we don't want to walk the line. We go far. We want to be radical for Jesus. 
in a fresh way, Jesus, in our hearts, we commit to teach these things to our children so that we could pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. Lord, in, in a fresh way this morning, we bring all of our possessions, everything to follow you. And so, Jesus, we pray that in our hearts and in our lives that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, that you, King Jesus, would be Lord of all. And so, Jesus, we worship you, we praise you, we follow hard after you. In your name, Lord. Amen.